listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron not to come just at any time into the sanctuary inside the curtain before the mercy seat that is upon the ark, or he will die. For I appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen tunic and shall have the linen undergarments next to his body, fasten the linen sash, and wear the linen turban. These are the holy vestments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. He shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots on the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall slaughter the bull as a sin offering for himself. He shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of crushed sweet incense, and he shall bring it inside the curtain, and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the covenant, or he will die. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat, and before the mercy seat he shall sprinkle the blood with his finger seven times. He shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering that is for the people, and bring its blood inside the curtain, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the sanctuary, because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel, and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which remains with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. No one shall be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the sanctuary until the time he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement on its behalf, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and of the blood of the goat and put it on each of the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and hallow it from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. When he has finished atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat, 
Then Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat and sending it away into the wilderness by means of someone designated for the task. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a barren region, and the goat shall be set free in the wilderness. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. God. Thank you for that reading, Bridget. So before we get started this morning, I feel like I should um, dispel any fears that people might have about this teaching, especially after that reading. Um, Some of you probably noticed, uh, you might have seen out in the side yard on your way into church, that we have a goat on the premises today. Um, I already got a few questions and some very concerned stares, Um, and I get it. I get it, right? Um, We are talking about Leviticus. You come to church and there's farm animals. Like, that could end really, really badly. Um, But let me assure you, nothing bad is going to happen to the goats today. The goat will be fine. Um, After the service, if you brought kids, they'll be able to go in the side yard and actually pet the goat and meet the goat, so that'll be adorable. Um, But we're talking about the Day of Atonement today. Yom Kippur in Hebrew. Day of Atonement is pretty much the holiest day in the Jewish year. It's like the holiest day of their calendar. It's the one day of the year, usually in September or October, when the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies, the innermost part of the temple, to atone for the sins, all the sins of the entire community from the past year. This is what the, day, uh, the book of Leviticus has been building toward, by the way. Uh, in fact, you could argue that the Day of Atonement is basically the climax of Leviticus. Let me show you what I mean. <clears throat> this is a chart we looked at a couple weeks ago, kind of capturing the flow of this book, right? Um, Leviticus does this thing, this weird thing structurally that we see in a lot of Old Testament books, where the second half of the book basically mirrors, like echoes the first. You start out with the section on ritual sacrifices, then the priesthood, then personal cleanliness. And then the second half, you get this corresponding section on holiness and the priesthood again and ritual feasts. You see that? That structure, how it basically repeats itself. And right in the middle of all that, acting as the hinge point, the climax of Leviticus, is the Day of Atonement. By show of hands, how many of us are actually familiar with Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement? Okay, a few of us. Um, if, you, if you maybe have some Jewish friends or family members, you might um, know a bit more about this practice, at least how it's done today, a little bit different today. Um, but I think a lot of Christians, uh, for a lot of us, this is new information. We don't so much do this anymore. So what I want to do today is I want to walk through this together, and we're going to have fun. Uh, We're going to go through this passage pretty much step by step to get a sense of what the Day of Atonement was all about, um, what it would have been like, what it would have looked like, what it would have smelled like, and what implications it has for us today. Let's dig in. Uh, Leviticus chapter 16. You can follow along on the screens or in your pew Bibles. We'll be starting in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. How's that for an introduction? Excuse me. Do you guys remember this story of um, uh, Aaron's sons, the priests, when they go into the temple and they offer a strange fire? 
and then they die, a fire from heaven comes down and consumes them. That was like five, six chapters ago. That was Leviticus 10. Then we got this break. We spent a few weeks in the clean and unclean section, but now it's like we're right back in the thick of it, right back where we left off. Um, The whole nation of Israel is gathered at the tabernacle. Aaron's sons have just died, and this is what happens next. Verse 2. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron, that's the high priest, not to come just at any time into the sanctuary inside the curtain before the mercy seat that is upon the ark, or he will die, for I appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. More on the animals and this mercy seat thing in a bit. Verse 4. He shall put on the holy linen tunic and shall have the linen undergarments next to his body, fasten the linen sash, wear the linen turban. These are the holy vestments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. Okay, the Day of Atonement is this elaborate ritual with all these steps, and it starts with the priests. The priests would wash themselves, the ceremonial washing. Then they would strip down, they would dress in nothing, but their linen undergarments, basically like a, like a white robe that you would normally wear under everything else. So like for this ceremony, the priests are basically in long underwear. Like that's kind of the visual here. But there's a reason for it. The Day of Atonement is the day when all the sins of the people are brought out and laid bare before the Lord. All the evils of the past year, the mistakes, the injustices, the errors, all of that is brought out and laid before the Lord. So to symbolize this, the priests would take off their fancy garb. They would dress in their linen, simple undergarments for this ceremony. Now, the high priest gets to wear a little something extra. Normally, the outfit of the high priest uh, was super ornate and elaborate. We're talking lots of gold, lots of jewelry, all kinds of bright, vibrant colors, fancy stitching, all of that. But on the Day of Atonement, come on up here. (laughs) On the Day of Atonement, the high priest toned it down a little bit. This is Gary. Everyone say hi, Gary. (laughs) How you doing, man? Do you feel priestly? Very much so. Gary is playing our high priest for today. Um, So as you can see, Gary is decked out. He's got the linen undergarments on. He's also got the vestments. He's got the linen tunic and the sash and the turban. He's got it all kind of on himself. Um, Gary's also sporting the ceremonial breastplate that the high priest wore whenever they did their duties in the temple. It was this gold breastplate attached by a chain that had 12 precious stones mounted on it. One stone for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Because, oh yeah, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest represents the people. The high priest represents you. He's going to go into the Holy of Holies, the innermost part of the tabernacle, where two people just died for doing it wrong. He's going on there um, on your behalf, on behalf of the entire community to atone for your sins from the past year. You sure you're up for this? 
<laughs> All right, let's do it. Better you than me, man. Um, let's keep going. Uh, verse 6, it'll be on the screen. <clears throat> Aaron, or in this case, uh, Gary, shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots on the two goats, one for the Lord and other for Azazel. Now, we're going to get into this Azazel stuff in a minute. Um, for now, though, what you need to know is there are three animals involved on the Day of Atonement. A cow and two goats. We following along with that so far? Got those, the visual? Awesome. Let's keep going. Verse 11. <clears throat> Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take a censer full of coals of fire. Coals... This. Coals of fire. Here you go. He shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of crushed incense. Two, yeah, well, I think this will work. Two handfuls of incense. Um, and he shall bring them inside the curtain. You can set them there, that's fine. And put the incense on the fire before the Lord, so that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the Ark of the Covenant, or he will die. There's a lot going on here, all right? And if, and if we get this wrong, apparently Gary's life is at stake. So, um, wow. Let's, let's break this down one by one. You've got a bull that's being sacrificed to atone for the high priest. There's smoke and a curtain and a mercy seat. Let's kind of go through this so we understand what's happening. First question, why the bull? Like, why does the high priest have to bring a bull to atone for his sins? This is the Day of Atonement. We're covering everyone's sins. No one else brings a bull. Why not just lump the priest's sins in with everybody else? The best answer that I found was in this, um, it was a Jewish commentary of Leviticus, which is pretty much the gold standard, this one, of contemporary Leviticus scholarship. And this quote is just too good not to share. It'll be on the screen. Check this out, though. Obviously, the greatest threat to the purity of the sanctuary came from the priesthood itself. Obviously, if anyone's going to screw this up, it's the priest. No offense, Gary. <laughs> Zach already says. Um, if anyone's going to make a mess of things, if anyone's going to ruin this whole religion thing for everybody else, then obviously it's the priests, the leaders, the pastors, people like me. Think about what we've witnessed just in our faith, in Christianity, in our lifetimes among the leadership, the moral failings, the humiliation. Religious folks can get so hung up on who's in and who's out. Oh, we can't have them. We can't, we can't worship with these people. That'll ruin everything. When if we're honest, the people who have probably set us back the most, the ones who've done the most harm to the church and its reputation, are the leaders priests, the pastors. Obviously, the greatest threat to the purity of the sanctuary comes from the priesthood itself. Too good not to share. 
So the priest would offer a bull to atone for his sins, because if anyone's going to mess this up, it's the priest. Then you get the smoke, right? The pyrotechnics, the coals and the incense and the fire. What is that all about? You don't see a lot of censers, these things that, um, that priests would kind of like run back and forth with the smoke coming out. You don't see a lot of these uh, in Baptist churches. Our Catholic and Orthodox friends uh, still do this, but like Baptists have never really been down with all the smells and bells. But this smoke and incense were a crucial part of worship in ancient Israel, and especially on the Day of Atonement. Here's a floor plan to help us visualize uh, what's going on here, kind of the layout. Uh, In the tabernacle, also known as the Tent of Meeting, and later the temple, you had the courtyard where people would come to worship and offer their sacrifices. Then you had the holy place. That's where, like, the priests would do all their work, was in the holy place. And then, separated from the holy place by this massive, heavy curtain, was the holy of holies, the most holy place. That's where the presence of God dwelt. The priest would take his censer full of coal and incense. He'd stick it through that curtain, and he'd fill up the Holy of Holies with smoke before going in. Because if you look on the presence of God with your own eyes, it was certain death. In fact, we know that by the time of Jesus, there was this tradition where whenever the high priest entered the Holy of Holies, the other priest would tie a rope around his ankle and kind of wait on the safe side of the curtain so that if he died when he was in there, they could pull his body out. Godspeed, Gary. <laughs> we, don't have a, we don't have a holy of holies here. We should be fine. Um, one other thing, the text also mentions the mercy seat. What is the mercy seat? That was the gold piece that sat on top of the Ark of the Covenant uh, inside the holy of holies. If you've ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, you've seen this before. Uh, that spot between the two angels was called the mercy seat. That's where the presence of God dwelled, almost like a throne inside the holy of holies. To look on the mercy seat with your eyes was certain death. So don't look at it. I'm just kidding. You're good. You're fine. Sorry. Just a picture. You're good. Anyway, um, so that's the bull, the smoke, and the mercy seat. Let's keep going. Verse 15. The high priest shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the curtain and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the sanctuary because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. So basically, after the high priest has atoned for his sins with the bull, takes the first goat, sacrifices it, and does the same thing for the people. This serves to cleanse the worship space for what's about to happen. And that brings us to goat number two. Come on down. The goat that is gradually making its way, her way in here. Goat that McKenna is bringing. Here is goat number two. How's she doing? She's doing good. So you can Everybody, this is Aspen. Just give a quiet wave because we don't want to scare her. <laughs> this is Aspen. Um, Aspen is going to be our scapegoat for today. Um, 
She's the goat that, uh, if you remember a few verses ago, is given to Azazel. Let's read that part again because it's really weird. Verse 8. Hello, Aspen. <laughs> Let's read verse 8. Um, Aaron shall cast lots on the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for Azazel. Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and offer it as a sin offering. That already happened. That was the first goat. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it that it may be sent away into the wilderness for Azazel. Who is Azazel and what does he want with this goat, right? Um, if you have an older translation of the Bible, uh, this is a place where uh, Azazel is usually rendered scapegoat. You've maybe heard of the scapegoat before. Um, but this is one of those instances where we get a Hebrew word and we have no idea what it means. Um, the word Azazel only occurs in Leviticus 16. It's not in any other part of the Old Testament or any other Hebrew writing from the time. So we don't really know what it means. And so what modern translators do is they get to that word and they just keep the Hebrew. They just render it Azazel, which is so helpful for readers, right? Um, now there are some, some theories about Azazel. Uh, the goat is taken into the wilderness and set free. So one theory is that Azazel was the location, the place in the wilderness where they would take the goat. Um, that's certainly possible, but just a guess. We really don't know. Another theory is that Azazel refers to a rival demonic entity. There might have been some ancient tradition predating the Day of Atonement where one goat would be offered to the Lord and the other goat would be offered to this evil wilderness demon to basically keep them away. So this might be the residue here of that tradition. Again, just a theory. A third theory is that the goat itself is the Azazel. We get this from scholars who try to like dissect the word and try to understand what it means as sort of like um, a compound word. Ez is the Hebrew word for goat. And Azal means go away. So this might literally be the go-away goat or the scapegoat. Again, just a theory, but that's where we get scapegoat from. We don't really know what the word means, but the symbolism here is pretty clear and quite powerful. See, we've talked about atonement before. Atonement in Hebrew literally means to cover over. So the idea with all the other sacrifices is that you're covering over sin. The blood of a sacrificial animal acts as this protective covering to hide your sin from God so that you can stand in God's presence without fear. But on the Day of Atonement, thanks to the Azazel, thanks to Aspen here, we are moving from sin covering to sin removal. The high priest would take a red cord and he would drape it over the goat, symbolizing the sins of all the people. Then he would place both of his hands over the head of the goat and the priest would pray, confessing the sins of all the people from the past year. Public sins, private sins, injustices, ways that the community had failed its neighbors and fallen short. All of that was placed on the head 
of the goats. You can almost imagine the priest doing it, right? Looking each person gathered there in the eye and praying, Lord, forgive his sin, forgive her sin, forgive their sins. Do you have any guilt that you're carrying with you today? Any shame? Any junk that's been dogging you from the last year? Anything you're feeling bad about or sorry for? Anything you wish you could take back? Maybe there's something that like no one else knows and it's been eating you up inside. What do you need to offer in this space? God, we offer up our sins, our failures. We confess the ways that we've fallen short, that we've hurt others, we've hurt ourselves, that we've hurt you. Place all of that on the Azazel, Lord. And we ask that you take it away. Amen. Now, that's not the end of the sermon. We're not done yet, just because we prayed. We still, we've got we've, we've to see what happens with the goat. Um, so, after the priest had confessed the sins of the people, after all the smoke and the sacrifice, the priest would take that scarlet rope off the goat, and he'd lay it across the altar for everyone to see. <clears throat> and there was actually this tradition in ancient Israel. This is not in the Bible. You won't find this in the Bible, but we find it in other Jewish writings from the time, where over the course of the next year, that red rope would slowly change from red to white because the sins of the people have been carried away. We find residue of that tradition in our hymns today. Sin has left a crimson stain, you washed it right as, white as snow, right? That's from this tradition. As for the goat, we haven't forgotten about you, Aspen. <clears throat> now, like no God-fearing person wanted anything to do with this goat, right, after the sins had been uh, confessed over it. So there was always a Gentile, an outsider, appointed for the task of taking the scapegoat outside the camp and setting it free, taking it to a high place in the wilderness and releasing it. McKenna, would you mind being our, our, uh, our Gentile for today? <laughs> Could you do that? All right. Um, go ahead. Take the goat back. Take it back up. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the Day of Atonement. I was going to have you clap for these folks, but I don't want to freak out the goat. So very quietly, let's hear it for Gary. Gary, thank you so much. McKenna, thank you so much. Thank you guys for doing this. That's the Day of Atonement. <clears throat> All right. So we are almost done. The sermon is almost finished, but we've got to get to the takeaways, right? We've got to get, what are we supposed to learn from this? What are the lessons? Let's hit three, really briefly, three things that I think we can learn from the Day of Atonement. The first is the level of grace that's displayed in all of this. It is all about grace. All the sins from the past year are carried away and forgiven. Everyone gets a clean slate. And the bulk of the people don't have to do a thing. If you're an Israelite, if you're part of this community, 
you don't have to do anything. The priest is your representative, right? Your priest is the one who's risking their lives going into the holy of holies. The, the goat is carrying the sins away. All you have to do is show up and watch. Witness your sins being carried away. And then they had a big party. That is grace. Second takeaway is the communal nature of sin and forgiveness. Um, This is an important one. In our modern Western world, we usually talk about sin and forgiveness as a very individual thing. It's like, I'm responsible for my sins, you're responsible for your sins, and we go to God as individuals to repent and seek forgiveness. That certainly has its place. The Bible is well aware of like individual sin and salvation. But way more often, the focus of Scripture is on communal sins, corporate sins, ways that the community, ways that the nation, ways that the society had fallen short. A lot of us, we bristle at the notion of of communal sin. We talk of like social justice or systemic racism or environmental destruction, and it sets off all kinds of alarms in our head because those realities are so big. I mean, what am I supposed to do about society's sins? I can't be held responsible for that. I can't do anything about that. The Day of Atonement reveals that corporate sins can be dealt with. There is a remedy. If those sins are acknowledged, if they're brought out into the open and confessed before God, God is faithful to wipe even those sins away. That is good news. But there's got to be repentance. We've got to lay our corporate sins before God and acknowledge them if we want them taken away, if we want a clean slate. You can't just cover over them and pretend they don't exist year after year, not if you want healing. One final takeaway, and that's the Jesus connection. I mentioned this red cord that goes on the altar. Can you all kind of see it up here, the red cord, the one that was on the goat, the one that would slowly turn white over the course of the next year? Well, there is another tradition, which again, it's not in the Bible, but we find it in Jewish sources. We find it in the Talmud and other sources, Um, Jewish sources, not Christian ones, that's important. It was documented by numerous people that in the 40 years leading up to the destruction of the temple by Rome, that cord stopped turning white, like didn't work anymore. And that's usually taken as this like dark omen of judgment. Like it's usually assumed that God's people were under some sort of judgment for those 40 years leading up to the fall of the temple, and that's why it didn't work. That's why magic was gone. The grace had been removed. But I'd like to propose a different theory. The Romans destroyed the temple in the year 70 AD. So if you count backwards 40 years from 70 AD, that puts you right around the year 30. What if something happened around the year 30 that forgave sins on a larger scale. 
What if it wasn't that the people were under condemnation and judgment? What if the rope didn't turn white because it no longer had to? Because the sins of the people had already been carried away. You know where I'm going with this, right? Did we ruin it yet? We didn't ruin it yet. There we go. Going to Jesus. That's good. It was right around the year 30 that Jesus was crucified. He was accused by the temple authorities who handed him over to a Gentile, Pontius Pilate and the Romans, right? Who convicted him and then led him out into the wilderness away from Jerusalem to a high place where he was crucified. How does the cross deal with sin? Simple. Jesus is the scapegoat to end all scapegoats. Jesus took the sins of the world on himself and carried them away once and for all. We don't need a scapegoat anymore. Your sins have been forgiven. The penalty has already been paid, which means that whatever junk you brought in here with you today, whatever guilt you're carrying around, whatever people try to put on you, and whatever blame gets casted on you, you don't have to carry that anymore. Because Jesus Christ, the scapegoat to end all scapegoats, carried your sins away 2,000 years ago on the cross. All you have to do is trust Trust, have faith that his grace is enough, that your sins are forgiven too. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for the free gift of forgiveness that is ours in Christ. We thank you for being a God who doesn't just over sins, but who carries them away, offering us a clean slate and a fresh start. God, I pray for anyone here who's still carrying around that guilt and shame, anyone who doesn't know you or who maybe does know you, but is really struggling to accept forgiveness. God, help us to see that we don't have to carry that stuff around anymore. Empower us to hand all that over to you to trust and to receive the free gift of forgiveness that is ours in Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.